Welcome back to another episode of Be Beautiful Adaptive Warrior. I'm Angie, your host. It's that time once again to unleash the warrior within you. Are you ready? Then let's get started. Hello and welcome back to Be Beautiful Adaptive Warrior. I am your host, Angie Huser, and I am here with an amazing person that I cannot wait for you all to meet and um, someone who I have watched on social media, Danny Arovich. I hope I said that right. Yes, you did. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Danny. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, you know, um, as, as I've been telling people, as we're going through this month of April, limb loss, limb difference awareness month. Um, it's kind of funny. Cause I, I, I spoke to someone this past week who was a 1992 Paralympian, um, a three track skier, Alpine and nice. gold medalist, two bronzes. And it, it's just crazy because she's like all these new terms, limb difference, limb, <laughs> limb loss. She goes, you know, I don't like stomp. That's for sure. But you know, there's so many different, she goes, can I say this? Can I say this? And I said, whatever you want, you're talking about yourself. So I am just excited to have you here. I mean, truly this is an honor and I'm thankful that you spent the time. I know you're busy, you're, you're young, you're active, you're doing your thing. And, um, it is just, it's great to have you. I would just love for you to tell everybody who Danny is. And, and, and it's short for Danielle. Yes. Would you go by yes. Danny? Yes. Would I go by Danny? Okay. Sure. Um, well, a little bit about your, your past, like as a child, uh, what your limb difference is and kind mm-hmm. of how that maybe impacted you as, as a child in school and things like that. Some of the things that maybe we don't think about, um, mm-hmm. especially those of us that later in life became an amputee or whatever. Mm-hmm. So all you. So I was born missing my left hand and forearm and my parents didn't know that I was going to be missing my hand. So when I came out, they were to their surprise, I didn't have a hand Wow! and I think they were definitely worried about any hardships that I could face just because they didn't know anyone else who was missing a limb really at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was lucky to grow up in a pretty small community in Boise, Idaho, and I went to the same school from the time I was in the first grade through eighth, and then went to the same high school as most of my elementary and middle school classmates. So I was really lucky that I grew up in this community that I think definitely it took when we were little kids some time for them to get used to me having one hand, but then we continued our childhood together. So I was really lucky to not encounter any bullying, any issues with that with my classmates. I would say the hardest part about having the limb difference growing up was having mostly strangers staring at me Mm. when I'd go in public, like just to a grocery store or to the mall or something and having Mm. other kids stare at me and I could hear them whisper to their parents like, mommy, what what happened to your hand? And the kind of hush, hush, don't ask, that's rude. I think that Mm. is something that was a little difficult and affected my self-confidence for sure. And, you know, Mm -hmm. being a teenage girl, you're already self-conscious about so much. So then to throw on having a very visible difference from your peers was really hard. And I 
wanted to look like everyone else, but um, that ended up in resulting in me wearing, you know, a sweatshirt and a prosthetic arm on 100 degree days in the summer, yeah. just so someone wouldn't oh. stare at me in public. Yeah, and just kind of making myself almost uncomfortable to try to make others more comfortable right. with the difference. So I'm very lucky though. Now we've moved. I've, oh. I think especially through sport, I've been able to build that self-confidence and not right. be afraid to have people stare at me anymore. So yeah. I'm very happy to have built that confidence and now trying to help other people feel confident so they don't have to go through those terrible, awkward stages yep. of being an amputee. <laughs> well, for sure. And so you did end up having a prosthetic arm. Did they, did they try mm -hmm. that successfully with you? I mean, I, I don't yes, ever, I haven't I, ever seen you with it on in any mm -hmm. of your social media. So do you ever use it? Not anymore. I haven't since I was 14 about, okay. I do have an attachment for a bicycle right now, but it stays on my bicycle and just, I just pop my arm into it oh, and I'm nice. probably going to have to get a new one for a new bike built this summer. But I had was fitted for my first prosthetic at Shriners hospitals for children when I was six months old. So I was at the oh, time, I believe the youngest baby to have a myoelectric arm in the nineties. Wow. So one of the first like partially um, electric arm that was tied a little more neurologically right. to be able to sense and move on its own without um, me controlling it. And I wore a prosthetic then. Yes. Until I was about 14 years old, but um, I'm, I just didn't like them for myself. They, yeah. I see the benefit, like one of my teammates right now who has a similar arm impairment to myself, wears hers religiously every day. And she's 23 years old now. And she definitely has probably a better balance in her body because mm -hmm. she has a better weight distribution. Right. But um, I just, I couldn't handle wearing it every single day. I just it's, felt more free without it. So yeah. I chose to ditch it when I was in early high school. <laughs> well, yeah, I can imagine. Well, and of course, this comes to questions that are just, and I'm hoping that my, my audience has these same questions because I'm used to the people not understanding that, like I take showers without my leg on because it's electric. <laughs> yeah. I can't take a shower with it on. And, and there were questions I had too, before I became an amputee was like, yeah do I sleep with it? No, you don't sleep with it. That was so, I mean, I try to take naps with it on and it's so uncomfortable, oh, but with, with you, like, how do you handle just day-to-day -day things like putting your hair up in a ponytail and things like that? I mean, have you mastered that or do Definitely you have not mastered it, but growing up, I did learn to tie my shoes pretty early on. I still honestly like for race days, I have a coach or a teammate tie my shoes because I can't get it to Tight. the tightness that I yeah. want it when I'm, you competing. don't want it coming undone while you're running. Yeah. yeah, but I can definitely, I grew up learning to tie my shoes and we figured out ways to do that. Um, I did have my mom always do my hair growing up. So when I first went to college and I went to college pretty far away from home and mm. didn't know anyone at the school I was at. I kind of had to start like trying to figure out how I could put it in a pony and how I could hold a curling iron. And if I was straining my hair, how do I reach the pieces in the back and stuff yeah. like that? So it definitely just took like a lot of experimentation, but for the most part, I'm trying to think of something I can't really do to be honest. Yeah. I'm well, not sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, obviously if you grow up and that's all, you know, mm -hmm. exactly. That's just what, you know, um, mm -hmm. I do have to say, I, I'm, I'm astounded and inspired because I think 
yes, I may be living, lose, lost my leg mid femur down, but I'd rather have my leg missing than my hands. (laughs) So I'm impressed. I'm totally impressed that you can do the things that you do and that it, for you, it's just normal, you know, and I get that. Whereas with me, I guess I was, you know, 47 when I lost my leg Mm -hmm. and that was tough emotionally Mm -hmm. because, you know, I, it's like losing a friend, you know, like it was Mm -hmm. always there and now it's not, but I don't mind. And I'm, I feel very blessed that I've been able to pass that, you know, and just move Mm -hmm. forward and not get stuck in the past, but that's crazy. And now you, you're like, you have a very colorful life already. I mean, you've done, (laughs) I'm, I'm looking at, I'm always into sports and I see that you would love to be a GM for the NFL. (laughs) I saw that in an interview and I'm curious because football is our life here. You know, if I have have two teenage boys, both who played Uh, football, I met my husband in high school. I played softball. He was playing football. So all we do is football season is on. If there's a game it's on, you know what I mean? In our house. Uh And so I, I started looking in and you know, you, you, you went to college at Butler Mm-hmm. Right. And you, did you go on a scholarship to run? Mm-hmm. But I only ran my freshman year because I was really focused on my after collegiate career, which I wanted to be in the prof- professional sports industry. So I chose to leave the team and focus on doing some other things and internships while I was there so that I could be more well-equipped to get my dream job. And, and what was it that you did? You were with the Colts, the Pacers, and then you went to Utah Jazz. What were you doing? Because it sounds like you were a business major. Yes, I studied business and I wanted to focus on professional sports. So while I was in college, I interned for the Indianapolis Colts doing marketing and events. And then for the Indiana Pacers doing game operations. So basically anything in-game entertainment. A lot of things cool. fans don't think of, but you know, the scoreboard and the little videos they play to the MC, to the announcer, to the dance team, anything like that was our focus. And then my job after college was working for the Utah Jazz. I started in sales and then moved into community relations. Wow. That is so cool. I'm, I'm actually jealous. That is so cool. I could do my it's life. It's not as glamorous as it seems. <laughs> No, but I think, you know, if that's, if, if your love of sports mm-hmm. is that intense that you would get in, in any way, you never know. I, I found that now in my later years that mm-hmm. I've learned to say yes to so many different opportunities. Cause you don't know who you'll meet, mm-hmm. what direction it'll take you and what doors will open for you. So sometimes sure. you start, maybe it's not glamorous, but it's a start someplace mm-hmm. exciting that it could lead mm-hmm. somewhere bigger and better, mm-hmm. but what ended up happening and I, and I, I, okay. So one of the things with this podcast is uh, my goal is always, I feel like I'm very blessed that even though I went through so many trials for about five years and a lot of surgeries and a lot of bad things that happened, uh-huh. the choice that I made to amputate, I would not, I would not change. It yeah. has been that much of a blessing in my life that I can do everything I want to do with my family and, mm-hmm. and more, and of course, competing. And I, I find it amazing to me that even at my young age of 50, that I could still have those dreams to compete uh-huh. at a different level in a way that I would never, ever be able to. And then when I talked to um, Ronnie Sasaki, it was an interview yesterday on her Olympic 
she, she didn't start training and become a, a skier till 17. And, and yeah. she beat her right after that. Your story is very similar as well, isn't it? So yes. tell so- us a little bit about your journey from the jazz to where you, <laughs> where it led you. Yes. I, I grew up playing any sport and that I could possibly get my hands on. And I always played against able-bodied peers. Mm-hmm. And while I was in high school and I started running cross country and track and field, I was doing quite well. And so that's how I ultimately got to the division one level to run. But while I was working my job, which again, I thought was going to be my dream and was going to make me feel fulfilled and it was going to be my passion. And I was going to work until 65 and move up in the organization. I just wasn't feeling those feelings I thought I would Mm -hmm. have at that stage in my career, especially being that early on in my career. Can I ask really quick, how old were you at that time? How old were you when you were working with the jazz? I was 22 till I was 24. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, we knew a family friend whose daughter was getting involved in the Paralympics from the same hometown as I. And we started asking her some questions and looking into it loosely. And so I was deciding I might try this, just see what it's really like. I looked at some of the times for the track and field team and unfortunately, the events that were offered to my classification, which is basically people of a similar disability compete right. against each other in the Paralympics. For mine, right. we were only able to run the 100, 200, or 400. And my events in college and in high school were the 5,000, the 3,000, so much uh, longer events. Yeah. And it was kind of a just a trial to see, will I even like training for this? I was still working full time. So I was only able to train, you know, after 7 PM at night when I was done working and it somehow molded into becoming my whole life and taking over. And then from there, I was introduced to para cross country skiing and para biathlon and invited to try it out at a clinic in Breckenridge in late 2019. And suddenly I was training, you know, for two sports. And the goal was to try to qualify for Tokyo in 2020 and try to qualify for Beijing in 2022. And then amidst the global pandemic, (laughs) 2020 was pushed back. So we had went from having 18 months to train in between the two games to having only six. And it was a scary feat to try to do both. And they are pretty conflicting sports. People think, oh, running, skiing, like both cardio, both, you know, they'll, they'll fit in great, but running the 400 was much different than skiing for 15 kilometers or so. Yeah. I can imagine. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's absolutely insane. So you ended up, and I didn't say that at the beginning, but you competed in both the Olympics in Tokyo Mm -hmm. and Beijing six months apart Mm -hmm. from each other. And so what was your, what did you actually compete in with the summer Olympics? I was in track and field and ran the 400 meters. And Mm -hmm. then for the winter, I did two out of the three cross-country skiing events and two out of the three biathlon events. And how long are those winter events? Because it sounds (laughs) exhausting. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, some people, some of my teammates did all seven events (laughs) over the span of two weeks, 
Um, but the shortest distance is about a kilometer or so. And then the furthest will be the men ski up to 20 kilometers. And the biathlon, mm -hmm. I was trying to remember all this. The biathlon is with the rifle, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so cross-country skiing and target shooting. And depending on the race and the competition, if you have any misses when you shoot your targets, you ski extra laps, oh. basically, of a certain area. So you wow. want to try to shoot as clean as possible so you don't have to ski extra. How, how did your shooting go? Not well. <laughs> That's Have you had shooting before this? Um, I grew up in Idaho, so we would definitely do some shooting and I'd go hunting with my dad, but yeah. I never had to, you know, shoot after having skied. Uh, and I know your heart rate. Hard. Yeah, yeah, have a high heart rate after doing a lot of cardio. So it's definitely something that in the next four years before the next games that my coaches and I are going to focus on a lot. <laughs> and so between those two, types of events, summer and winter, mm -hmm. what is your draw? What's your favorite? What do you want to, to continue for as long as you possibly can competing in? I want to ski cross-country ski, definitely as long as my body will allow. So I hope for three more games until I'm about 40, but I just decided recently that I'm not going to run track and field probably any longer, just due to the fact that I didn't really love the 400. I don't know if anyone really loves the 400, but yeah. it didn't really feel like my, you know, specialty and the yeah. training just wasn't stuff I was used to. So I did it for a few years. I accomplished my goal of qualifying, but I am going to take a stab this summer at para triathlon and see how no. that would go. I have a lot of work to do in swimming, but I've done no. quite a bit of biking as cross training for skiing. And obviously it's running a 5k and I definitely have some experience doing that. So I'm excited to yeah. be able to try that. And I think it will translate better for my fitness for cross country skiing. Yeah. I think it seems like you're, you've, you've conditioned yourself yeah, for I'm longer running. <laughs> yeah. So with swimming, is there, what is the, um, what would be the biggest struggle? I think that I will definitely struggle with dealing with open water for sure. And not being, you know, in the safety of a pool, but being thrown out into a lake or an ocean yeah. to swim and not being able to see underneath you. Uh, so that's I'm so funny. Nervous for that. <laughs> you know what that is? I don't know why I grew up in Illinois and we went Wisconsin. We'd always be in the lakes as oh, yeah. kids. And as an adult, uh -huh. I'm like, yeah, I have no desire to be where I can't see what's <laughs> swimming below me. I don't know what it yeah, is. For sure. However, I have tried surfing. And, you know, when you're missing a leg, sharks don't mm -hmm. seem so bad. You're like, I already won. <laughs> one's, one's gone. I, what's going to happen? Really? What's the chance yeah, that someone's like, going to What are the odds that that could ever? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's really cool. Now, can I ask, how did you end up faring in both summer and winter Olympics? I mean, we know that it was brand new for you. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. really some people like you think of gymnasts and they've been starting since they were like four and the parents are pushing, but uh -huh. you, you did start, I say later, later. in life, but not compared yeah. to me, but later in life. Right. So uh -huh. how, how did you fare with summer and winter? What was your outcome? In the, in the summer games, I believe I placed fifth in my heat so I did not advance to the finals okay. in the 400 but the, the people who did and the times they ran were 
ridiculously fast, like so yeah. much faster than I was running at that point. And then for the winter Paralympics, I, again, was only, this is my second full season of skiing. So I was really new to the sport and the sport definitely requires a lot of technique and experience. So I knew the odds of meddling were very slim to none. Yeah. Um, but I believe I had two top 10 finishes out of my four races. Good. And what was exciting though, is I hit criteria to make the national team. So now I will be on the cross country and biathlon national team moving forward, which That's is awesome. exciting because it allows, you know, more resources, more opportunities yeah. to compete over the next few years. Right. Right. Well, and I know that you had said when it came to, was it, um, uh, maybe it was both actually both Olympics. Were they both pretty shut down in the village where you didn't get to experience true Olympic village time with people? Yes. Both times being August of 2021 and most recently March of this year were very weird due to COVID. Like there were so many restrictions and regulations and we weren't allowed to leave the village at all. So I can't really say I visited Tokyo or Beijing because I didn't really see anything outside the venue and the village. Yeah. Um, but they definitely still allowed us to intermingle with people from other countries. We still ate in the same dining halls. Just well, it good. was yeah, very, you know, masked up. They put little dividers in between every seat everywhere to try to separate people. So hopefully by oh, the time okay. we get to Paris 2024 we will see some normalcy with the games. That's, that's great. I know in our family, we, we love going to Paris and we're kind of hoping knock on wood mm -hmm. that maybe we can get there and actually watch some of mm -hmm. these live. Cause that would be so cool. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Maybe a better trip than the last one I had where I got the blood clot, which would be, would be much know. better for me, a better memory, I think. So, okay. So now I know with most people that I've talked to, we all deal with mm -hmm. certain kinds of, uh, struggles because of the way our prosthetics fit. But mm -hmm. for you, luckily, you don't have that kind of struggle where you have physical pain happening on your, mm -hmm. do you have, what kind of struggles do you still face? Or when you talked about balance, like, it's kind of funny, because mm -hmm. I think of my balance, like huge, mm -hmm. right. And I'm really off balance. If I do like sled hockey, like I'm really mm. off balance because I only have one <laughs> the sled, but what with running? I mean, I, I couldn't even fathom. Is there, um, is there an, an oddness to that? Not having part of your arm and your balance in that? I mean, do you feel it? Do you notice it? Yes, most definitely. I'd say my biggest struggle now, especially trying to compete as an elite athlete is trying to make my body symmetrical because mm. I definitely can't do you know, the exercises or hold the weight on the left side that I can in my right hand. And so when you look at my back, my mom always says like my right side looks like a swimmer's shoulder and my left side looks like a four-year-old's like yeah, just the muscular balance is really big. So when I was sprinting, particularly in the 400, I would notice that because of the weight difference in the size of my arms, like my chest would over rotate side to side, which is wow. just a waste of energy and that excess movement is not going to help because again you're trying to go forward so if you're going side yeah. to side that's not in the direction you want to be going so I definitely notice it in sprinting particularly I don't think it has as big of a difference on my distance running just because mm -hmm. I think 
honestly, you can get away with the form not being as strong um, as in sprinting to still be successful in distance running. Yeah. And then in cross country skiing, it definitely makes it so my right side is getting a lot more work by only holding the pole on the right. So I notice that when I'm trying to in the gym balance out the symmetry, then when I hop on skis and I'm using one pole, it's kind of doing the reverse of what I was trying to do. I have no idea. That was my next question. I have no idea how you cross country ski with one pushing pole. (laughs) Well, some of the athletes in our category don't have any poles. <laughs> so how do you even I'm like, do I'm that? I want at least. <laughs> I'd be going up a hill and I'd probably slide all the way back down. I wouldn't <laughs> be able to get up. I don't even I can't even fathom that. So it, yeah. take us through what do you do to train with only I mean I would probably be doing circles. I mean I don't even know <laughs> if I could keep straight. I mean cross country skiing I don't think I've really ever tried it and now with uh-huh. one leg missing it would be definitely a challenge but yeah how do you train for using the one pole? We do a lot of work without any poles to try to really focus on what's happening on the lower half of our body, because we can't rely on our arms doing as much of the work as an able-bodied skier. We make sure everything on the lower half and our legs are taking most of the blow. So we try to do a lot of work without a pole in order to make sure lower half is doing what it needs to do. And then when we throw in the pole, we basically try to imitate the same polling techniques and everything that an able-bodied skier would do and try to do it the exact same way, just obviously missing the one pole. So we try to pull plant at the same time. We do the same techniques, but just without the other pole. (laughs) That would be, I I would think that would be tough. When I realized I saw some pictures of you actually doing that, I was like, Mm -hmm. wait, she only has one pole. That would be hard. And do you guys, I mean, and I really haven't watched a ton of cross country skiing, like competitions. I usually really get excited when I see them get their rifles out. That's the part I love to watch, but do they skate? Do you skate when you're cross country skiing? Right. A lot of it is that leg movement of almost skating with your skis. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the standing skiers, we compete in two different techniques, classic skiing and skate skiing. And so this past Paralympics in Beijing, two out of the three cross country races were skate. And then all of biathlon races are always skate. So there was quite a few skate races this past year. But for the next games now, we're probably going to have a little bit more classic racing and classic is definitely the technique that I don't prefer as much. Yeah. Oh my God. I can't, I, yeah, that would be tough. That would be really tough. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think, and, and, and forgive me if this is wrong, but do you, how are your knees? Are you, do you have, Oh, terrible. Yeah. And well, does it worry you like at your age? Cause I know you, what you want to do. I know your dreams are mm-hmm. to go as, as, as many Olympics yeah. as you can. So what do you need to do to protect that and, and deal with that? Yes. So I had my first knee injury in 2014. Uh, my knee first did a full dislocation. Oh. And ever since then, it is the ligaments on the inner side of my knee are so stretched and some pieces torn that it could dislocate at moment's notice, which is wow. super great to deal with, but, um, I go to physical therapy and a chiropractor to work on it regularly. I have to get it taped almost every time that I'm going to compete. I do have a brace. So for days it does feel weaker or unstable. It, um, I can put on the brace, but it's kind of a 
constant daily struggle, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And we had considerations of doing a surgery this summer to repair the ligaments, but it required an eight month recovery. And I don't really have time for eight months of recovery. Um, but mm -hmm. they did see an actual a small uh, tear in my uh, cartilage. So they recommended maybe doing surgery, but I was like, I'm going to try to withhold it as long oh, as possible because nice. I just don't have time for the recovery. But I know probably later in life, especially when I'm done competing, I might not be able to stay as active as I'd hope because of the yeah. knee. Yeah. It's kind of, um, it's kind of can be frustrating when you, mm -hmm. when you see that as a, on the horizon kind of a thing, trust me, I know at my age, I know I'm probably double your age. Um, but okay. No. So now I'm, I'm curious you have, uh -huh. um, I know you have a bunch of who is Danny outside of this competitive person. <laughs> what do you love doing? What is, what are things that you spend your downtime doing? Um, what, you know, I, I, I hear you hunt, you hunted at least with your dad. Uh -huh. so that's how I was yeah. raised too. Nice. Yeah. Yes. I need to get my, I'm live in Montana now after growing up in Idaho and I still need to get my Montana license to try to get my hunting license up there yeah. so that I could go more this fall, but I still work. I really enjoy working and I work as a freelance social media manager for a few different brands. And then I also work as a casting agent. So I work for a casting company that does influencer marketing and real people casting. So it's been really fun to stay working and I'm lucky that I get to work from my phone remotely and it's nice. very flexible to my schedule and my company's worldwide. So people are sending emails at 1am my time because they're in Bali and <laughs> they're in the crazy. peak of their work day. So I don't really know if I have any downtime to be honest, because yeah. every time I'm not training, I'm trying to at least work. Um, but I really do enjoy spending time in the outdoors. So hiking and camping yeah. and downhill skiing for fun when I can in the winter. Um, I want to try to get into mountain biking this summer as a goal of mine next winter. I want to try to get into some backcountry skiing. So basically anything fun. to do in the outdoors and I'm trying to only live now in mountainous places. So I was yeah. born in Idaho. I did spend some time in the Midwest for college, but then I was in Utah for a few years and now I'm in Montana. So I do really <sighs> enjoy being near the mountains. <laughs> All beautiful places too, right? Uh -huh. we, we just recently did a trip up into Idaho and did Yellowstone nice. and stuff. And, nice. um, you know, when, uh, yeah, just, it's gorgeous out there. Mm -hmm. Love mm -hmm. the whole Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, all those areas are just beautiful, yeah. especially if you like to be outside. Now, you know, I'm born and raised mm -hmm. Illinois, but being in Arizona mm -hmm. now, I don't know what I would do without being able to see mountains. Yeah. You know, I love sure. the mountains and, you know, hiking daily. I mean, you can just mm -hmm. take a five minute drive and hike mm -hmm. and just get away from everybody. It's awesome. Definitely. So, Definitely. I, yeah, I agree. I love being outside. And did I see you did some modeling? Are you yes, still? I have. Um, I haven't in the past few years, mostly because training has kind of taken over. So anytime there was a potential gig, I couldn't really change my training yeah. schedule to get to it. But it is something I'd like to maybe do a little bit more of in the future. And I think selfishly, it's really just good for people to be able to see someone who's different in different campaigns and hopefully with the diversity 
these kids, you know, who might be born missing their limb or lose their limb can see people who look like them on TV, on a yeah. billboard and magazine, things like that. So I know that's definitely something I want to help progress with. I totally agree. And I think we're on the right path to that. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting because both you and like I said, Ronnie last week, this last week, um, were both born with your mm-hmm. difference. And mm-hmm. so you don't know any different, but you also are people that I've, I, I've been able to just kind of get a glimpse on what it was like probably being a child and growing mm-hmm. up. And I mean, gosh, like you said, high school is already hard enough trying to figure out who you are and how you fit in <laughs> middle school punishing. Um, I used to teach middle school. I know how middle schoolers are. I remember middle school. You just tried to fit in the box, right? So you didn't look mm-hmm. different, act different. You, you went mm-hmm. with, with the flow. But mm-hmm. I, I have to say too, that what I have noticed and the reason I try to reach out to other, especially adult women is mm-hmm. one thing I notice is at, even at our later stages in life, there's a lot of people that are um, afraid of being accepted for what they look like now, whether they mm-hmm. lost a limb because of diabetes, cancer, mm-hmm. accident, or choice like me. Um, I have had people ask me, are you afraid to go out in public? And I'm like, no. I'm like, I earned this scar. This is a, <laughs> pardon me, a badass scar. And uh-huh. I, I'm owning it, right? But there are so many women that that's not the case, or people that have um, gone through divorce because of it and they don't mm-hmm. feel loved anymore. And it, and that's those are the people that I'm really, you know, so when we try to get out there and show ourselves, it, it's to show an acceptance that it's, Love yourself for who you are. Normalize the disability. Right. Ask questions. You it's okay to stare at me, but ask questions. Don't just stare, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Talk to me. And I love when kids do. Like you said, kids, Mm -hmm. kids are like there, there's no filter. They're just like looking and you see the mom going, stop, stop, stop. And I'm like, it's okay, you know? And then just having a conversation. Um, I think that's important. The conversations are important. So when you get out, do do you do any speaking? Do you get a chance to talk? I haven't done a ton. Um, I actually did my longest one the other night for a group of high schoolers in my hometown um, who were receiving top hundred high schoolers of the Valley award. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to talk to them a little bit about, you know, they're about to go to college. They're about to have all these new life experiences. And here are a, some disability one-on-ones, like even the most basic things, I feel like we have to remind people of like, don't use a handicapped bathroom stall. If others are available, don't park in handicapped spots, um, with your vehicle. Don't do like, if you know when you're opening businesses make sure it's ada accessible and take extra steps not just like the bare minimum that the laws require but try to really make it accessible add you know auto generated Mm -hmm. captions to social media and so i tried to talk to them a little bit about like i feel like now that i have a platform and i've met also a lot more people with various disabilities since i only knew like an amputee growing up I didn't really know anyone else in, you know, who was a wheelchair user or who had a visual impairment. So now that I have experiences with a lot more disability and them being my friends and my peers, I feel like I can also help speak on behalf of them and how we are trying to make it more accessible, but also like said before, normalize the disability. So 
you know, now that that group of high schoolers has seen me with, you know, my arm and seen yeah. me missing hand. Now, maybe next time they see someone who's also missing their hand, it's like not even batting an eye because it's just familiar and they already know someone with it. Right. And so I hope that just the more I can come in contact with some of the able-bodied world, then they're going to just feel like it's not, oh, you know, a weird, different, right. strange thing. It's just normal life. <laughs> Right. I mean, it's normal for us now. I mean, mm -hmm. for me now, for you, it's always been normal. <laughs> for me. I mean, it seems I don't consider myself disabled. If that sounds weird. Like I know I no, look, no. totally look it and I don't hide it. I'm not the kind of person that mm -hmm. wears pants all the time. I mean, it's a yeah. hundred plus degrees here all the time. So, you know, shorts are kind of a must or skorts or whatever, yeah. but, um, so if you could give, I guess let's, let's aim it towards younger because you are uh -huh. on the younger side, but if you could give <laughs> advice on, you know, going after the dreams, um, mm -hmm. dealing with a, a difference, whether it's a limb mm -hmm. difference or just, you know, there's a lot of other things out there medically oh, yeah. that really kind of, uh, kind of categorize kids mm -hmm. and youth growing up. What advice would you give them to kind of succeed in life? What, what has helped you? What's in your toolbox? for succeeding, what do you suggest to them? I think that the best piece of advice is definitely to use your difference to your advantage. And I think that to be honest, like when I was interviewing for jobs and they ask, you know, questions of like, what's something that you had to deal with that was difficult. And I'm like, well, mine's kind of obvious, but to be honest, like this is definitely something you probably won't hear in the rest of your interview. Right, exactly. And I think you can change your difference to be viewed to something positive, hopefully for your, yourself, but also mm -hmm. for the rest of the world. And so to be able to use it and be proud of it and be able to talk about it and explain experiences you had, I think will make you just a very valuable member of whatever you want to do. And obviously I know like if I wasn't missing my hand, I couldn't compete in the Paralympics. And so right. it's, I feel very blessed that I have the opportunity that I did. So it's funny looking back when I was a kid and I was like, I just want to look like everyone else. I just want to be mm -hmm. like, you know, everyone else and look like my friends. But now I'm like, why would I want to do that? Cause now look what I get to do for my job. I get right. to literally compete all over the world and represent our country. So mm -hmm. I think it's definitely just, you know, accepting it for yourself, but also being proud of it and being able to use it for good in the world. I love it. I love it. Okay. So who would you say helped you the most defining you besides yourself? Obviously, whatever's inside of you, your DNA is, is pushed you, but I'm, I'm going to guess, I know the answer to this, but who, who supported you along the way, who got you towards this path of being athletic and a go-getter and wanting to just dream big? My mom, yeah, <laughs> definitely my mom and my dad. And I think it started from a young age and them putting me in sports, you know, with able-bodied peers and them never letting me complain about having one hand, not in such a negative way that they weren't understanding or right. they yeah. definitely would hear me out when I did have tough situations involving it, but especially in sports, they were like, suck it up. You can play with them. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I tell you're right. it, it's that <laughs> grit, so right? Nice. That grit yeah. is what helps really. And that's, that's what I heard. I've heard that's kind of like the common thread 
to anybody mm-hmm. that is successful with whatever difference they have. It's, mm-hmm. it's that toughness inside that willingness mm-hmm. to go just that little extra more because we have to, because we have to work a little mm-hmm. bit harder, um, mm-hmm. to, to reach a goal. Um, but mm-hmm. it's so much sweeter when we reach it. Yeah. You no, know? cause you're like, I, I did it because, <laughs> yeah. and I don't know if, well, and you probably didn't have this kind of a comment, but I know with myself in the situation I was in and a couple other people I've met where people said, well, you may never walk. I was told, mm-hmm. don't do the amputation because you will never walk again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm, excuse me. You're like, have you seen the technology behind? I know. <laughs> now, I have to say that was a big blow because I had, I was trying to decide to do the amputation. Uh-huh. And it was actually a surgeon. And oh. that was a tough one for me to take. And there was a lump in my throat in that office. And I remember walking out, holding everything together, losing it in my car and then calling mm-hmm. my to be prosthetist. He actually, the assistant is a, an amputee and he goes, don't mm-hmm. you listen to that. Don't you listen to that. Look at me. I play basketball. Da, da, da. And I'm like, okay. Okay. <laughs> but you know, the doubt that I was worried about, cause you know, if I'm going to mm-hmm. choose to do this, that's a mm-hmm. different ball game. Like what happens if mm-hmm. I choose to do it? And he's right, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so there's that, what would you For consider sure. Um, the biggest struggle you faced so far in your life? Ooh. Hmm. The biggest struggle. See, it's so funny because like, especially amongst my para peers, like people quite literally, you know, like one of my teammates stepped on an IED in Afghanistan. Another one is like adopted from a Ukrainian orphanage at the age of 10 mm-hmm. after being born with a disability. And so people have these crazy stories and have gone through some stuff I cannot even imagine. And for me, I can't even like view my me missing my hand as my struggle, but I guess to a certain extent, yeah. it was just obviously different than, you know, some life altering traumatic right, event. Right. Mine was just, yeah, growing up and having to accept differences and be comfortable in who I was, I would say. Yeah. And having that visible difference my whole life and just figuring out how to navigate the world with one less swim. (laughs) Yeah. I like your thinking though. I I agree with that. It's really hard to Mm -hmm. almost even complain when you know how some people have lost their limbs. You know, I Mm -hmm. have many people come to me and ask if I'm a vet. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I almost feel like mm-hmm. ashamed that I'm not like, yeah, I yeah. lost a limb, but actually it was, you know, karate. And they're like, what? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, glamorous. I was doing it for myself and I did it to myself. But, um, and then what would you say the, the, a monumental moment in your life was uh, good or bad, but I'm assuming it's going to be probably good, but what was, what's something that your, your proudest moment, what was some moment that you knew that you were doing the right thing at the right time and it was all came together? Actually, it's not positive. It wasn't positive in the moment, but um, about six months after I had started training for running while I was working my job, I did my first ever para race. And it was like my first introduction to the Paralympic sports to seeing other people with disabilities and meeting a lot of um, the people who would one day be my teammates for track and field. But I was my first time really running the 400. 
and I was doing pretty well. And then I fell and it's pretty hard to fall in track because it's just you and your own lane. And my shoe wasn't even untied. And so I you just don't have fell. that going. No, I can't even blame oh. on that. So I fell with like 10 meters left. And oh. I think I might've concussed myself and I was scraped up and I got up and finished, but it was in front of again, all these people who I was trying to earn their respect as a newbie into their world of Paralympic sport. And my mom and I were just talking about this this week. And she was like, I really thought you were going to quit after that because I still had my job. I still could pursue that. Like this was kind of my first time racing. And it was before really we had even found skiing and so many things. So I think that was a defining moment that after that fall, as much as I wanted to quit, I was like, I'm going to give this more time. And now I'm doing it full time and really enjoying, obviously, the new life that I have. And I don't think I would have made it to the two games and hopefully to more in the future if I hadn't maybe even had that following experience. Well, you know what? And I love that. That is like a great pull together of this whole this Mm -hmm. whole interview is, you know, being transparent that that we're not perfect in what we do. Um, social media is so deceiving. Um, we Mm -hmm. see everybody at their best, the moment Mm -hmm. that that picture or that video is taken the best. And, Mm -hmm. and really, I'm glad you said that. I'm so glad it wasn't a positive because it became a positive. And, Mm -hmm. and I try to drive home all the time that, you know, you know, life is not easy. Like no matter what you're going through, we all, everybody in the human race, we go through highs and lows and Mm -hmm whether or not we choose to rise up from those lows, that's what makes us who we are. That is what builds character. And that's what toughens us up for the future valleys that are going to come our way. Cause they are, you're not going to be on a mountaintop for the rest of your life. And so mm-hmm. I love that you took a fall that probably made your face turn red. You were probably feeling so humiliated and embarrassed at that moment. And you chose to continue to push mm-hmm. forward because we can't learn if we don't fail or fall, mm-hmm. right? That's how we learn. We, we find out, well, can we, we need to pick our feet up a little bit more, make sure the mm-hmm. shoe is tied completely and keep <laughs> our head up. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you shared that because that was real, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's cool. I'm glad you shared that. Thank you for sharing that moment. Well, I have to say that this has been a phenomenal interview and, and I have to tell you that I'm going to have you on again, because I have <laughs> I could go in about 16 other directions that I would love to hear you. Um, yeah. But you're so personable and so wonderful and I and gracious for Thank being you. here. And I appreciate that. I do have a little game I want to play with you. Uh, kind of mm-hmm. bring it on home with some fun. I'm calling it okay. this or that. So I'm going to give you two things. I have about 10 items or 10 sets. Okay. And you just tell me first experience. This kind of gives us a little bit more of a personal take on Danny and who she really is because she can't think about it too fast. Too hard, okay? It's going to be quick. All right. So you ready? Okay. Pizza or tacos? Tacos. Football or basketball? Football. You a night owl or a morning person? Ooh, was a night owl trying to become a morning person thinking it's morning person now. Yeah. You're my spirit animal because I just don't believe me. I'm way too late at night and I want to be a morning person. I feel like I get more done when I'm up, but I hate getting up. Yeah. All right. Cool. (laughs) Comedy or reality? 
comedy the mountains or the ocean mountains no question (laughs) i know after i talk to you then i'm like wheat or salty Ooh, again was sweet probably moving towards salty nowadays yeah all right Mm -hmm. are you considered an introvert or an extrovert Oh, this is like the debate between me and all my friends because on my test, it's an introvert and I definitely have introverted qualities, but I'm an extroverted introvert. But at the end of the day, I need my time alone and that's where I get rebuild my energy. So no one believes in me, but I'm saying introvert. <laughs> all right. That's, that's two people back to back. This an introvert that I would never expect <laughs> yeah. you're out, you're out in the, so it's kind of unique to see that, that people that are actually like in like a spotlight you know, Olympics uh-huh. and speaking and stuff actually can be introverted as well. I like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> you prefer books or movies? Movies. Chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. Summer or winter? Winter. <laughs> All right. That's so cool. I yeah. wondered if that was going to really trick you up because you did both. Olympics <laughs> and I was really interested to think. All right. So I am grateful for your time. I I really would love to do this again. So I hope to have you on in the future. Um, I'll be wanting to watch how you're getting ready for 2024 and um, wishing you the best of luck. Thank you, Danny, for being on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Good luck. Good luck in everything you're doing in the future. Thank you. Well, there you have it, everyone. I really hope you enjoyed getting to hear Danny's story. Um, what she's done, what she's up to, what's coming for her, and um, just being able to kind of get a glimpse into what it must be like to go to the Olympics, especially now in the pandemic. But another story of adversity being overcome, people rising to the challenge in their life, and not letting things or your circumstance hold you back. What an inspirational story Danny's is. And I really hope you continue to listen in as next week we have Paralympian Noah Elliott on. And I'm really looking forward to hearing all about his journey to Beijing, snowboarding, and what he has overcome to succeed in the snowboarding field and in life. So don't forget to subscribe and please share with people you think could use a little inspiration in their life. Until next time, and as always, be healthy, be happy, be you.